stop it. <laughs> it's so hard. Just say something, Jess. Um, hello. I'm going to try to speak really loudly. Okay, good. You're about mid-level. That's where we want you to be. Okay. That was like and me. Jonathan? That was me shouting. Okay, so who should shout, shout for shout this entire episode? I'm, 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 don't worry. I'm always fine. Yeah, you, yeah. you've got that teacher See, voice. I do. He says I do. he says this, and then when we he gets back to the, do the mixing, he's gonna be like, "Oh God, I can't hear myself." Yeah. What did I say? I'll record again. So, Obviously, you don't know me very I well. Okay? If you think that I would think that was a problem. Uh, here, Angela, really quick. Yay. Cool. Then we're all here. We all survived the rain outside. I swam here. Yeah, I know. It feels like I swam here. I, I put on two pairs of socks, and all four socks are wet. So I'm pretty upset about it. There were like four fire trucks, two ambulances, and a police car on the way. Oh, wow. It's fun outside. I, it's fun. I was telling Angela before you guys got here, um, on my way to the library, there was a Fudora delivery cyclist, and I guess he had a flat tire. And he was losing his mind. <laughs> he was just screaming and shouting at nobody while he was trying to, like, take his tire off in the middle of the rain. And I felt really bad for him, but he was so angry that there was just no way you could console him. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> Jeff, you're a cyclist and so am I, so I think we can relate. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> the fact in that he's like a Fedora um, delivery person, though, is like, mm, maybe I don't care. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> hey, oh. hey. Hate the player, not the game. Okay, I it's have not a, his fault. I have a fedora. <laughs> I wouldn't buy a fedora from a, a fedora delivery salesman. Fair enough. <laughs> and okay. I wouldn't wear it without like a tie, because otherwise it doesn't work. Oh, wait, wait, wait. But food Dora. Oh, food Dora. What's that? You're talking about yeah, Fedora. It's a bicycle, no, food Dora. Bicycle delivery service. Oh, okay. Food. Take it all back. Food Dora delivery. Wow, I like that, that you thought that there's... It was uncharacteristic of you to hate on a delivery <laughs> yeah. person. I thought you were going to... I thought... So you imagined that there's a guy who delivers yes, fedoras. this is what I imagined. So you're just like, man, I've decided women in video games are no good. I need a hat. Now. <laughs> that guy <laughs> should be suffering in the rain unable to change a tire. Someone delivering food to hungry people gets my full sympathy. Okay. All right. That makes more Phew. sense. Phew. <laughs> Crisis averted. I thought that was going to happen. I have to reassess my oh, own. Man. Yeah, that was like un- un- uncommonly callous for Jonathan Dalton there. Yeah, it's been that kind of week. Welcome to the Trade Raiders. Yeah. Yeah. Woo. We are doing a holiday special. Yay. Holiday special. So uh, because of some scheduling conflicts, we had to rearrange our picks. So we might have told you that this was going to be Castle Waiting this time. So apologies that this episode is a little bit out of order. But to make up for it, we have concocted uh, a very fun thing to do for you all. We're going to be giving gift recommendations So just as a sneak preview, we're going to be talking about awesome gifts for someone who has never read a comic or is not a comics person, someone, uh, a special gift for someone who is a super comics fan, and also gifts for, or sorry, we're all going to discuss 
What was it again? Uh, books that you might, we probably will not do Trade Raiders episodes on, either because they are too rare and too hard to find, or because someone on the Trade Raiders isn't going to like the pick. Yeah. <laughs> right. We know it's a contentious pick. Yeah. So if you like, if sort uh, Trade Raiders by most controversial, those are... Yeah. <laughs> Those are our picks. And that, w- that was not a subtweet, by the way, because I'm sure we've all got books yes. that we wouldn't want to do. <laughs> okay. Uh, <Maybe>. But <laughs> <laughs> I suggested this special, and I have a character-revealing question for you. Ooh. So since this is a holiday special, I wanted to know your Christmas wish, quote-unquote, for comics. So not Ooh. necessarily what you want as a gift, but if you had a magical wish power that you could bestow upon the comics industry, whether it's a, a book you've never seen written that you would love to, th- to see or some kind of change that you would want to see in industry, this is your chance, your Christmas wish for comics as an industry. Ooh, all right. So I'm Jeff Ellis, and I'm going to skip over the obvious wish, which would be like a significant pay increase for everyone making comics. Uh, and I'm just going to say my Christmas wish is that all media outlets will cease and desist in beginning their articles about comic stories with, bang, pow, comics aren't for kids anymore. Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> that is a complete moratorium on that. <laughs> good Christmas wish. Uh, fun side note on that. Dylan McConus wrote uh, a webcomic, like just a couple pages, about uh, tropes in media coverage of comics. And focused heavily on the bang, pow, comics aren't for kids anymore meme. Did you guys know that comics aren't for kids anymore? What? No, but comics <laughs> are for kids again. <laughs> yeah, actually, can I, can I jump in yeah. with my wish? Um, I'm Jess, and uh, as I understand, comics used to be the most popular form of entertainment for kids um, in their heyday, at the peak of their popularity before there was the big like comics ban or like code ban. So I think it'd be really great if um, there were more comics for kids and it became as popular as it used to be. And um, then maybe, too, there would be some um, like pay increase for people as well if it became even more mainstream. And I think that's already happening. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm Jonathan, uh, and my holiday wish for the comics industry is to have a distributor. Oh, good Something one. that's not Diamond, because Diamond is bad. I was going to say, you mean more than one distributor. <laughs> no, a distributor that you can contact them and tell them about your book, and they will actually distribute your book. Mm. As opposed to Diamond, who will say, who are you? You're not a superhero. Go away. Are you Spider-Man? <laughs> Go away. <laughs> You all had such good and surprising answers. (laughs) I had a completely different answer. Uh, I'm Jam, and originally I was going to say that what I really wanted to see in the world was a Harley Quinn... No, not Harley Quinn, was it? Yeah, I think it was Harley Quinn. A Harley Quinn comic by Amanda Lafrenet, uh, which was a dream project pitch that she put out on Twitter. Amanda Lafrenet is a really fun and very femme femme-positive style, and I would adore to see a left-field artist take on uh, a mainstream superhero and be given carte blanche for what to do with it. But uh, if I want to if I want to jump on what you all have been suggesting, <laughs> I want to see shorter artist alley hours at conventions for <laughs> artists, because <laughs> artists are usually solo people, and they end up working nine, ten hours straight three to more now it's been more like three four days in a row at shows and it's too much for independent creatives and i think it could be better 
Absolutely. I always think it's funny when I talk to my non-comics making friends about comic conventions because they're they'll be like, "Oh man, did you hear they push it all the way back to Wednesday? Yeah, it starts Wednesday afternoon until <laughs> Sunday at seven p.m. and you're just like." I don't think I can stand behind a table that long. Yeah, it's really hard as well because you want to put your best impression forward. You want to be enthusiastic and friendly and meet readers on your absolute best, in your best mood. Mm. And man, after five days of long show and explaining what you do over and over and over again, it is really hard to hold on to that mindset. Yeah. Uh, And last minute shout out to Kay Gross, who can't join us today, but... Yeah. It's always in our hearts. Our Christmas wish is for her to be here, too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so do we want to get started? All right, so our first topic here is I asked our trade readers to find a gift for a non-comics reader. Uh, okay. Um, are we, we going to keep in the same order? Or? Sure. Yeah, it doesn't right. yeah it let's just do the same order okay. all the time. Okay. Well, so... I, okay, I, I read non-comics reader in two different ways. So I thought about just your average person who like has never read a comic and maybe just something to get, get them reading a comic. But then I also thought about young readers and like their first comic ever. So just inducting a, the youth. So I don't know if that there's a better time to talk about a kid's pick, but I have a kid's pick and I have just sort of like an adult's pick, but both would be for first-time readers. Okay. So one is uh, Laser Moose and Rabbit Boy Disco Fever. This is the second book by Doug Savage to feature the characters Laser Moose and Rabbit Boy. And I'm going to give this to my nephew for Christmas, and he's not listening, so that's okay. We can spoil that. Um, <laughs> he absolutely loved... He's And he's... He's four years old now. He was two years old when I gave him the first book, and he loved it to death. And so I think if you want to get your kid excited about reading a comic in the first place, this would be a good starting point for a new comics reader. Um, and then just if you have, like, a friend who maybe has never read a comic and you want to sort of show them that comics aren't just superheroes. Aren't just for kids anymore. Yeah, they're not just for kids anymore. Um, I was going to recommend uh, Underground, written by Jeff Parker with art by Steve Lieber. I'm sure Jonathan's familiar with. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and it is a like crime caper that centers around spelunking in caves. And so it's just kind of like not a story you've seen on TV or in a movie, and it's not got any capes. And I just think, yeah, if you want your friends to sort of think, hey, comics, they actually can tell different kinds of stories. Then, yeah, those are my picks. Yeah, that's a, Underground is a really good pick, I would say, because it's also not too long and self-contained. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it has a very solid beginning, middle, and end, and it's a, it is a compelling read through and through. Oh, and it's just, like, well-made comics, like, great art, really tight storytelling. It's, it's just, like, above board on, like, everything. Yeah, and Steve Lieber is a stand-up guy as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. So if you want good, good comics by a good person. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've met Jeff Parker at conventions too. He's a really nice dude as well. Mm. They're uh, both in Portland, I think, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Jess, I'll go next. Um, Now I want to read Underground (laughs) for for my gift for myself. Um, There we go. But yeah, that's that's great. Um, I picked Fables, which is really popular. So people listening to this podcast have probably heard of it. But the reason I picked it was really personal because it was actually a gift to me when I was just starting to read comics. Um, And I think that was sort of 
like the tipping point for me like I'd always really loved art and like I've been doing art since I was a kid but then when I read this I think I was about 15 I was like I was so into it like I bought like 16 of them as like time went on and more came out and I just I really love the art it like it's very accessible so if someone hasn't read comics before there's some like familiarity because it's all about like mythical figures in New York City so it's urban fantasy um the art's really good and the uh chapter covers or the covers are by um James Jean so that got me into his art as well which is just like stunningly beautiful and really interesting and I'd never seen anything like it before so I'd actually recommend this um to probably someone who is between 14 and 16 maybe a kid who's like a bit older but maybe it's still like an early comic for them okay yeah is it the same artist through and through for fables um for the first volume i think it's the same person but it changes up throughout the volumes it changes a lot but it didn't bother me when i was reading them over the years and i read them for years too because i think there's like 20 (laughs) volumes out so yeah it was good did a lot of thinking about what to pick for a comic that i could use as sort of uh, to convince people to read comics. Uh, and I have a lot of books on my shelf at home that I thought could work for that, but I ended up picking Meanwhile by Jason Shiga, in part because I don't know... It's, it's not a comic that I get to share very often. I can't bring it into classrooms and show it to kids because it's I'm worried they're going to break it. Uh, <laughs> but it's the kind of thing where if comics as a medium isn't your thing... I think you could still get a lot out of the format of this because it's a very unusual format. It's basically a choose-your-own-adventure comic. So what it's got is it's got little tabs on the side of the book and you have to follow the path between the different panels and make choices as you go and then it takes you like around to different pages throughout the book uh, and then the story changes depending on what happens. Mm-hmm. So like the very first page, for example... Uh, the main character has to choose between vanilla ice cream and chocolate ice cream. And if he chooses vanilla, uh, you flip the page over and he ends up like just going home, everything's fine, basically the end. Uh, <laughs> if he chooses chocolate, then he, there's this whole long escapade where he meets this inve- inventor who's invented a time machine and a telepathic machine and a doomsday device. And you get to choose which of those to try out. And they all have various consequences. From what I, from what Jason has said about it, it was um, a challenge just to construct the book because it's such a complicated thing. Like, there's no wasted space, uh, but you have to flip all back and forth to find all the panels. So it was a logistical challenge, but I think that's the, the kind of thing that he's into from what I know about him. And I think uh, it's not necessarily an easy comic to read for a non-comics reader, but it's not harder than it would be for a comics reader because it's it's a new format of it, it's its own thing, and I think the the appeal is the format itself, so I think it would be easier to overcome the, the barriers of like, oh, I don't read a lot of comics just because it, the, the challenge of reading this book in particular is um, I think what's appealing about it. Yeah, that is a fantastic book. I got to go to the book launch for that at Lucky's Comics, and Jason Shiga is a super nice guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that book is like an achievement because I mean, just the yeah planning that I can't even fathom just getting all the like figuring out how the pages are going to line up and the die cutting and like planning out the color pathways. Um, 
Didn't he say that he'd written some kind of algorithm to figure out the <laughs> optimized way to set all these panels up on the pages? Possibly. That book um, launch was a while ago, so I'm not, yeah. I might not be remembering that correctly. Yeah, I, I believe it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It just it seems like the kind of book that would get like Scott McCloud really excited <laughs> too. Like it's just pushing the medium in somewhere different. I don't know if anyone else has accomplished a choose your own adventure comic, and I don't know if anyone ever will again. Um, the so only one that I can think of is uh, to be or not to be, which is prose, but okay, illustrated prose. Oh, by Ryan North. Okay. Oh, yeah. Was that... Um, he did a, another book. It was To Be or Not To Be, and then there was Romeo and or Juliet. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. Okay. That's the one I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that's not uh, what, what John has shown, and, and hopefully we'll have some photos up on the blog, but it's a really cool looking book that I've never actually seen before, so I might have to look for that one. It's a lot of fun. You can borrow so it if you want. Maybe. <laughs> I haven't seen it either. It looks amazing. Yeah. I feel like this is so cool. Like it could even be a good gift for someone who's read a lot of comics because mm. it's so unusual and yeah. uh, I've never seen someone do this my whole life <laughs> with a comic. <laughs> like, I, like the book is physically very unique. Yeah, with the tabs. Yeah, I That's I do great. I do feel like this would be the wrong book, you know, for someone who already has trouble with just comics in general. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, sorry, I know you said like maybe it could be. <laughs> I, I, I actually everyone like, on a level playing field. And yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it seems like it would be a fun yeah. reading experience, yeah. especially for someone who thinks that comics might be a slog. <laughs> yeah. I'd be curious. I'd be curious, actually, because it's just like I know that with my family, when I talk to them about my comics, they're like, they buy the Cloudscape anthologies, and they're like, yeah, like, your story was pretty good. And I'm like, what'd you think of the other ones? They're like, oh, I don't know. They're just like a bunch of pictures and words, and I couldn't really understand how they connected to each other. So I'd be curious how they would interpret something mm. like that. Yeah. And so I, I thought a lot about that, uh, that aspect for my pick, uh, that people who are new to comics do have a tendency to get lost in novel panel construction. Mm. Um, and my pick was a bit of a throwback, actually. I chose Persepolis by Marianne oh, nice. uh, Satrapi, which is well-known. I think it's a, a classic of comics. But what, I, what, what stands out to me about Persepolis is that it has a very distinctive, very simple black-and-white style, and I think that lends itself very well to clear readability. It's very easy and smooth to read that comic, and there's not a lot of ways that you can get lost. On top of this, I feel like it's a unique story in general, in the fact that it's an autobiographical comic from the perspective of an Iranian woman hmm. uh, throughout her life, and especially during the period of the Iranian Revolution, which I think is a story that's not often told, so it's inherently interesting for someone who may not have an interest in comics. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a very compelling read and very moving and emotional, despite that simplistic style and very straightforward narrative structure that I mentioned before. And so I think something like Persepolis could really show the power of of comics. And it's a handsome book, and it's its popularity and notoriety, especially the fact that it's been made into a film, I think might lend it to, oh, yeah, I've heard of this, haven't I? And then mm. they never mm, possibly yeah. sat yeah. and read the comic. So that is my recommendation. I think, yeah, I think that's a good one. Mm -hmm. I think I've definitely heard at least one person in my life say, like, well, I've never really read a comic, but there was that one, that Persepolis book I read. That was pretty good. So like, <laughs> I think that is actually a phenomenon. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I also have a secondary shout-out. 
So as I was walking around the comic store, I wanted to get an impression of what really nice editions are out there. And I wanted to give a shout out to the To The Max edition of Lumberjanes. Oh. Have any of you seen this? No. No. So this is a recommendation for a younger reader of around the ages of perhaps 7 to 11, possibly having never read a comic, or perhaps if they grew up reading something like Bone or Smile. If you and can they're find looking a 7 for, who hasn't read a comic before. Well, see, this is, this is just it. If you're looking for kind of that next stage of comics, mm. I would really recommend Lumberjanes. Mm. It wasn't super gripping for me as an adult reader, but I thought it was a really engaging and fun and really well illustrated uh, adventure story. And the To The Max edition is about a 9 by 12 super thick hardcover edition for, I think it, it collects probably four trades in it. So it's a really hefty book, bigger than just a regular trade. The Lumberjanes To The Max edition has a really nice cream textured cover with letterpress distinctive single color silhouette of Lumberjanes and then oh. it's like blue for the first one and then it goes into green and red for the subsequent books. So I think it's it's just, it's a really handsome gift oh, uh, for yeah. a reader of that age and recommend good job on the book cool. design. It I just it jumped for out for that me sounds at the great. shelf. Yeah. I'll have to look for that. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. Alright, our, our second pick was uh, supposed to be a gift for a super comics reader. So someone who has read everything, what do you get for the comic reader who's read it all? Oh, I didn't know necessarily it was that they've read it all. <laughs> well, all right, no one has actually <laughs> read it all, so yeah. not literally. <clears throat> all right, so I'm going to confess I totally misread your super comics reader. I did a super hero comic recommendation. <laughs> um but also, I, don't, I sort of felt like these are something that are a little outside of what we normally do in Trade Waiters, because um, I brought either... Kind of, I feel like these two go together. So it's Batman, War on Crime, and Superman, Peace on Earth. So War and Peace. And it's not actually a comic book. It's a storybook. So it has mm. prose uh, and I think image. Scott well, McCloud would qualify right. that as okay. a comic. But it has no... There's no word balloons. It's all prose with um, beautiful watercolor illustrations by Alex Ross. So he does these photorealistic images. And uh, to me, I they're just really fun, whimsical stories you could read to your kids. And I, the thing I really like about them is that they're kind of the logical conclusion of both characters because Superman, Peace on Earth, is about Superman fighting world hunger and losing. And so it has a really strong message that I think you know gets you thinking about this the state of the world. Uh, and then Batman War on Crime is about Batman. He fights a criminal in the beginning and a boy's parents get killed. And of course that, you know, rem reminds him of some stuff that happened to him. And he looks into what happened. Why was this criminal there? How did this all come about? And he finds out that it's because the factory got shut down and all the jobs got outsourced and everyone's unemployed. And so he realizes, wait a minute, I'm a millionaire. And so he invests in the factory <laughs> And, like, the neighborhood gets rejuvenated and Batman doesn't have to come out as much anymore because the millionaire Bruce Wayne is, like, financially restructuring the collapsing society. <laughs> um, and so it's sort of like, I don't know, it's, it's sort of, like, digs a little deeper at what it means to be a superhero. And uh, I, don't know, I thought, like, if, if you're looking to turn the superhero genre on its ear and not necessarily go grim and gritty, this was, like, a good direction to go in. 
Yeah, those are books that I got when they first came out. Uh, and even when I was a superhero reader, I was not a DC superhero reader. But I think those are probably my favorite DC comics. Uh, like, after you've read Batman War on Crime and uh, Superman Peace on Earth, do you need to read any more Batman and Superman? Yeah. Maybe not. <laughs> they kind of, like, tie up the characters really nicely in a bow. Yeah. And the, the art, um, like, Alex Ross has kind of fallen out of favor now, I think, just because we've got movies, and so there's less, less uniqueness in having photorealistic comics uh, in superheroes, but... Um, like, he put an awful lot of work into the art. Like, he would take photos of his friends. He built costumes to put them in to take those photos and then do paintings based on those. So that's a very labor-intensive process. Yeah. I would say that I feel like uh, this is where he's at his peak as well. I mm. feel like some of the more recent work he's done for, like, Marvel Comics covers, I don't feel like he's putting as much attention to detail into the work as he as he did with like this where he custom sculpted a Batman cowl for his friend to wear <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, super comics pick um, I picked I think probably the strangest comic I've ever come across called Arsene Shurawan um, I'm not sure how to say it but I picked it up and when I looked at the back it just said a comic about lust the unknown nothing projection expectation new acquaintances and bullshit artistry and uh, it's it's just it's absolutely crazy. Like, I think I, I love the story and the bizarre dialogue, but there's also a lot of artistic techniques I've never seen used. I might have talked about it with you guys like before. Like, for example, the the side characters have no features until the main characters notice them. Hmm. So they're just these like round heads, and then at one point, one of the main characters like touches the face of the side character, and like slowly a nose appears and a mouth and eyes as he begins to notice this character. Um, the character becomes revealed to us. Plus, like, people's body parts, like, turning into visual metaphors. And um, time gaps where, like, you have to... To move on to the next section, you have to wait, like, three weeks in real time. It's like, wait three weeks to read the next section. <laughs> so, wow. like, like time goes by. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's just... It's just really... It's just great. It just kind of explores the medium in, in fun and unique ways. So if you've read a lot of comics, this might be a little... A fresh and like bizarre thing to to look at. It's a bit expensive. It's like forty dollars, so little investment, but it's really good. Didn't we read a mini comic? Yeah, that's what I think I'm remembering. Is that there was a a similar? So there's a a very letterpress. What am I thinking of letterpress? Oh, what what's the style of printing called? Oh oh um. Uh, it starts oh, with an R. Yeah, risograph. It's it's very yeah. rice risographic in that it has a lot of red and blue, and mm -hmm. that's the, the color of ink that's used. Mm -hmm. But didn't you bring in a mini of that? Well, there was, like, a bicycle involved. No, that was that was Kathleen. That Robin. was Kathleen. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right. right. So we have Robin. no way of checking now if it's but the, the same person. the cover looks familiar. Like, I feel like if I haven't seen that before, maybe Jess has talked to me about it before. <laughs> yeah, I definitely like want to spread the word because I've never met anyone who's read it. Okay, I've never seen this book before, and I don't. And people don't know like they haven't seen it before. It's like this weird, great thing, and it's fantastic, and it's it's the writing too and the story. Like they're great, but I think like in terms of like this pick for a seasoned comic reader, I think for the techniques especially, and there's more too. Like I didn't have time to give the whole thing a reread, but I remember being really surprised by 
like the artistic techniques and the way they use the medium. Mm -hmm. Cool. No, I I'm interested. Maybe that'll be a future trade waiter. So I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know if the, I don't know if you'll be able to get it though, because it's oh. it's expensive, right? And it's oh. it might be a little hard to. I see. To find, yeah. If we plan far enough ahead, we could share it around. Yeah. Ooh, that'd be great. I would love to do one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so my next pick is Minus by Ryan Armand. Uh, this was, I guess, it's still a web comic. I'm sure it's still on the web somewhere. I don't remember but it, this. it concluded as a web comic. And Ryan went on to do other webcomic things after that. And I remember when the when it was printed as a book, thinking, oh, I have to get that book, but I think I was broke at the time. And then, like, months later, I, was, I remembered, oh, wait, I have to get that book. So then I went and got it. And it's, on the surface, it seems like a very simple uh, type of comic, like simple story, simple characters. But it plays with the medium in very interesting ways. Like, uh, it's very surreal. The The main character is this strange little girl who has the ability to sort of do anything, warp reality in any way. But because she's a kid, the sort of the limits on her power are her own perception of the world. So, like, if she's not paying attention in school and the teacher gets after her for not knowing what the textbook says, she'll change history so the textbook says something different yeah. uh, so that she's not wrong. Or when kids will ask her for favors, because all the other kids know that she has these powers, she'll often, like, do the favor, and then there might be terrible consequences. <laughs> um, there's at one point, uh, and this has become a meme, so it's <laughs> possible people have seen this what particular panel, but there's one page where there's an asteroid headed to Earth, and all the panels in the comic are... Like, everyone is worried about the, this is going to be the end of the world, like, there's nothing we can do to stop this. Then the last panel is her with a baseball bat. <laughs> and then it, the ending is just even more bizarre because at one point she basically kills everybody in the world but now everybody's ghosts and they have to deal with the fact that everybody's ghosts um, but everything is fine because everyone's still there they're just ghosts now so <laughs> it's just if you are a person like me who has read a lot of comics and you're always looking for something new and different this is definitely in the new and different category mm. Awesome. Yeah, no, I remember reading that as a webcomic and really enjoying it. It was a it was a cool thing back in the the golden age of webcomics when yep. things were very different. And oh, I've never heard of this before. Yeah, same here. I'll put a link on our Tumblr yeah. page. All right. So when I thought about a very avid comics reader, I thought about someone who has read a comic, uh, sorry, has read a lot of a particular genre, but maybe not a very wide readership. Right? You know, in terms of like, oh, they've read everything from superheroes to manga to everything in between. Or I imagine someone who maybe used to be really into either superheroes or manga, but then kind of fall fell out of it when they got a little bit older. So I wanted to think of easy recommendations. And what I came up with was Saga. Mm. And in particular, there is a pseudo-omnibus edition called Saga Book One, okay. which collects the first 18 issues, and it's a big 500-page hardcover. So if you find someone who's really into comics, but for whatever reason has not read Saga, I think this is a really strong pick, because it is, I think, a work that is easy to recommend to a wide range of people. In particular, I think it's really well-suited to Maybe people who are, you know, Batman, Superman, Spider-Man kind of hardcore comics, 
But this is something that is, it has the same kind of visual and uh, narrative structure as those comics, but the content is a little bit different. So it, it leans more towards fantasy and could draw a superhero comics fan out of the genre a little bit. And if it's someone who skews more towards the manga side, I think because of its content mm. and flow, it invites comic readers in from that side. Uh, and certainly I consider myself in that camp, and I found it very easy and inviting to read and never a, a turnoff. Despite that style being pretty traditional mainstream, uh, it never turned me off. So uh, the work is by Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples, and it's about a war between two planets that has been going on for ages and one is more technological in nature and the other is more magical in nature and it's kind of the story of two star-crossed lovers from either side who have mm. a baby and are on, fugitives on the run from these two warring factions and it's got a very fantastic feel a very surreal kind of story with a lot of interesting going on there is uh, a bit of there's quite a bit of violence in it so it still skews the, on that direction towards the superhero genre but it's uh, I think very well written and very engaging and 500 pages is a good length to really get into that work <laughs> I think because like if you give someone the first trade of uh, Saga they'd be like oh. like I, I feel like okay. I read the first trade of it super super fast mm -hmm. and it was like oh, I want more and I'm on uh, book 5 now of oh that wow work. okay yeah I have that on my to read like list on Comicsology. Ah. It's just like I I really keep thinking, oh, I should get around to that, and I just haven't quite yet. So you would be the perfect. Like good, right. You would be the perfect person that right. I would recommend Saga for. All right, <laughs> maybe this will push me over. So, yeah. yeah, I also haven't read it. Okay. Oh, but it's, it's so popular. Like, it is very popular. You think like, oh, like everyone's read it, but so many people haven't. So that's really cool. That yeah, definitely makes me want to read it. Yeah. Yeah. I've read uh, some of it. I, I think I've read approximately as much as the first omnibus, although I read it in the the trades. Uh, I didn't like it quite as much as Paper Girls. I think I like Paper Girls better, mm. but I, I had a lot of fun reading it. So yeah. So I will give another shout out to Paper Girls as well because they have a really really nice hardcover edition of oh. it with some process oh. magenta. So if you liked our uh, episode on the Paper Girls, there is a really good hardcover of that as well. Oh, excellent! That's good news. I've been meaning to catch up on the Paper Girls since <laughs> our last episode. <laughs> All right. Uh, our next category is these ones may or may not be as useful as gifts or gift ideas because the idea for this one was books that are that we would like to pick for trade waiters, but they might be too rare or obscure to find. Yeah. Okay. So then, uh, yeah. So I brought in Skeleton Key, which was published by, geez, I don't even know. Uh, That's slave labor, sorry, slave oh, labor graphics. Okay, uh, this they've changed their logo. So uh, yeah, uh, this is uh, the first work by Andy Watson, and though the cover looks like the Andy Watson you might know if you're familiar with his work, interior does not look at all like Andy Watson. And this is the first volume of like uh, nine, I think, or ten, and um, it's the story of a girl who. Uh, she gets a skeleton costume at uh, like a thrift store, and she finds a key in the pocket, and it has its skeleton key, and it's a magic key that when you unlock a door with it, it will unlock any door, and when you open that door, on the other side is another dimension. 
And so she immediately goes to a feudal Japan dimension and encounters uh, Kitsune, which is like a Japanese fox spirit. And that follows her back to her hometown, which is like in the middle of Saskatchewan. And uh, the two of them then go on subsequent adventures. And uh, yeah, it's a really charming story. And I have the entire collection, but it's all through like a defunct publisher. And I'm not sure the status of Skeleton Key, because I don't know if it's very popular. I did check that it is on Amazon, but I'm not sure how easy it is to get your hands on these trades anymore. I remember I had to do some hunting at the time because I was just really into this series. Um, and I have thought about recommending it for trade waiters, but my point of hesitation has always been that I don't know if we'd actually be able to get our hands on the books themselves. Yeah, you've told me about that series before, and it sounds like right up my alley, but I have not actually read it yet. Yeah, and is, is Slate Lever 100% defunct at this point? No, Do I we think know they're that? still around, Because I they? think they're still kicking as well. Oh, I thought they were... I thought they'd gone under. Their, their scope has oh. been reduced, that's for sure. Okay. They do not publish as much as they used to. Okay. Well, maybe. My apologies to Slate Labor uh, Graphics, no, but uh, if, I'm, if I'm wrong. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, I've definitely had trouble finding copies of this, so uh, if you can get your hands on Skeleton Key, good read. Um, actually, good, good for a new comics reader, I think, too. I think I misinterpreted the category. <laughs> That's um, fine. We'll have a more a wider range of, uh, of picks here then. I like that we all have different interpretations. <laughs> um, there's quite a range. So I picked a book that I've had since I was a teenager and I don't really know like where it's from or anything about it. It's very mysterious and it's called The Gorgeous Harbor. So I googled it and I couldn't find any information on it because if wow. you type in harbor it's just, I got like Stranger Things like right right away for uh, David Harbour, the actor. Oh. So it's just like nothing like online. He is pretty gorgeous. <laughs> he is a gorgeous <laughs> Harbour. <laughs> it's just like all pictures of him. Oh, <laughs> 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 Google, you failed us. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> but it's um, it, it. I remember reading it as a kid, and it was so compelling because it's partially animated. Huh. So if you flip through it fast enough oh, wow. um, it, it sort of like at the beginning it's uh, it starts white the panel's just white and then it becomes uh, black and then there's like an intermission Whoa. I'm trying to show everybody here but it's like it's it partially um, animates yeah, there's like little hits of color in there too yeah um, and it's sort of like these it's basically like a series of like surreal vignettes of these characters so one is a rabbit in a space suit one is a guy with a triangle head, then there's a guy with a square head, and a guy with a circle head. And it's sort of about these uh, interactions that they have. And I just I just don't even know where you get this book. Like, it was published oh, in 2004, wow. I think. What a neat work. Yeah, and it, it is it is sweet and neat. I think this is another one that I think Scott McCloud would be very excited to, <laughs> to know about. I have or probably does know about. I have a story. We might we might have to cut this because it's kind of fun, funny and inappropriate. But um, so like I got this when I was a kid, right? And there's this scene in that comic when the characters are watching a movie and the screen is completely pixelated. You just can't <laughs> tell. And they're saying like, um, "Oh, oh, her neck must hurt." Ah, and then you know it moves on, whatever. And then I was flipping through it yesterday and I realized that it's um, porn, <laughs> but so pixelated that you can't like see what it is ah. <laughs> and you hadn't realized that before it, I, it like took me like 
eight years <laughs> before I realized this, um, which is like so bizarre. And it's like something you'd miss if you gave it mm. as a gift. <laughs> right. Right? Because it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you can find the page. Right? Oh, yeah. Uh, One thing I'm actually noticing now that we pass around the flip it. it. There it is. Yeah, it's a. I think it's a woman um, <laughs> giving a blowjob. <laughs> but you miss it, right? It, there's like there's like 50 pixels in total, if that. Like, maybe. So, anyways, uh, I guess this is not for kids, even though it appear it appears to be for kids, but it's not for kids. <laughs> as you're as you're flipping through, I notice that almost all the uh, left facing pages are blank. Hmm. So it's very much intended to be flipped yeah. so you can just experience the right hand pages for the most part. Like mm-hmm. occasionally there's text that pops up, mm-hmm. but there's almost never I don't think there's any art on the left hand facing pages. No, so. I think I think you're completely right. Yeah. So they there is like some ex- expectation that you're gonna be flip flipping as you're reading it. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah. It's uh it's a really neat little book. I like it a lot. And you you read this when you're how old? For um, the first time? Like a young teenager. Okay. Yeah. I think this is explains why you've pushed your comic boundaries as far as you have. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, like, ended up so demented no. or something. <laughs> <laughs> why you're such a creep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my next pick is my most favorite and precious mini comic that I own. Ooh. It's Letters to an Absent Father by Mare Odomo. It's basically a doujinshi of Pokemon. Uh, and I've never actually played Pokemon or seen the show or read the comics. So, like, even if you don't know anything about Pokemon, it's still good. Basically, I guess in Pokemon, the main character, Ash, you never see his father. And there's some, like, backstory to that, which is, like, hand-waved. But this comic is basically that every comic strip, Ash is writing a letter to his absent father about sort of the things that he's doing. He never gets a response. He's just writing these letters, and then they go off somewhere. And sort of this, it's very uh, it's very moody, it's very uh, deep. And there's a lot in this tiny little comic. I will uh, second John's recommendation. This is also, I have this zine, and it is also the most precious zine that I think I own in my collection. Uh, and I'm coming to it from the angle of a hardcore Pokemon fan, and there are so <laughs> many like subtle references to... Especially if you were a kid around probably Mari's age and my age, where you grew up not only playing the games, but watching that iconic TV show. There's a lot of like poignant moments in that TV show which are then related to the experience of having an absent oh. father and kind of draws metaphors and comparisons between those two narratives. Huh. And it is a really precious work that I don't I don't know how you would find this scene. I, I think you, you can find it online, though. Oh, really? Yeah, you can find the comics online. But okay. the zine itself is a rare work. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to read one of these strips, if that's okay. Yeah. So it says, Dear Dad, Mom says she's seeing someone new. And then it's got Ash's mother saying, I'm lonely, Ash. Oh. Uh, next panel... Uh, I yelled at her in front of my friends. And then there's, like, the other Pokemon characters sitting around the table. And um, Pikachu scratching at the door because he slammed the door and left. Uh, Last panel is him crying in his bedroom. When are you coming home? Oh. Oh. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Oh, man. It's good comics. That sounds good. Yeah. This is what's possible with Dojinshi. There we go. What what does that mean? Um, Dojinshi is basically, like... Technically, it just means mini comics, mm. like handmade mini comics or like small press or whatever. But um, it's usually applied to fan works. Mm. So I'm using it in the, ter- in the terms of like it's a fan work rather than that 
it's a mini comic, even though it's both. Yeah, cool. and in Japan, it's very popular and common to release small press editions of doujinshi, and so it's like you have these fandoms that coalesce around different pairings and different characters, and exploring and expanding upon the universe of these uh, these works. And so doujinshi as a subculture is pretty pretty big and significant. And this is oh man, I just love this <laughs> work so much. That's so awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mariadomo did. He released a book of like comics slash poetry. And I picked it up at the last TCAF. Oh, yeah, we talked about that in yeah. our TCAF episode. Yes, we did. That's right. I forget what it's called. So my my obscure recommendation is a comic that I heard about and spent quite a bit of time hunting for mm. uh, at the time. And it was an edition from Drawn and Quarterly, and I just I couldn't find it locally. I couldn't find a digital edition. And they ended up picking it up at the Beguiling in Toronto before the Beguiling closed. So as I was going through my collection of work of things that I think would be really interesting to read, I thought of this book, but then I, I Googled it, and you can get it pretty easily and cheaply on Amazon. So maybe it's not that obscure after all, but it is a really thick book, and it is a really heavy book. So my pick for uh, Too Obscure for Trade Waiters is A Drifting Life by Yoshihiro Tatsumi, which is an autobiographical comic by a mangaka. Uh, mm. So someone who worked in the manga industry in Japan. But what's interesting about it is it's the true stories, the autobiographical stories of someone who worked in comics at the birth of the manga industry. Mm. So it covers periods from like the end of the war to as this medium was developing. And it features uh, Tezuka is like a character in the work. <laughs> and so oh. there's all these different personalities and people were really starting to construct this entire industry of like how did people get jobs what were these stories about how are they marketed how do you get to a publisher how do you like physically take your pages to the publisher in japan when you oh, wow uh, in tokyo like so <laughs> there are scenes where the character has to go to tokyo to drop off his finished works and get paid uh and it's just a fascinating <laughs> comic and a view into that time period for something that's deeply personal and interesting to me, right? Right, And yeah, so if you ever come across a, a Drifting Life and you're a manga fan, really strongly recommend. And I don't know, I might have, we might have to do like a sharing sharing circle to get that one read by Trade Waiters because I do still think it's a hard book to get your hands on. Okay. Just simply due to its weight. I'm intrigued. I'm <laughs> I actually have a copy. Oh yeah? Oh, yeah, sweet. yeah. So, okay, should, so there's uh, two. That'd be great. <laughs> that'd be awesome to do uh, a Trade How did you get your copy, Jess? Um... So a lot of the books I brought were from my amazing aunt, who's just given me comics over the years. Oh, really? wow. And I think she gave that one to my dad. Oh, yeah. okay. So, like, I could borrow his copy, because that, it's really great. Well, yeah. well, that's, I mean, at least, like, so it was this obscure, like, gift to you. Because yeah. I thought it would be funny if, like, after your <laughs> oh, yeah, story that you were just like, oh, it was just, like, at Golden Age. I just picked it no, up yesterday. No. <laughs> it was a mysterious <laughs> gift. <laughs> It is on the rarer side. Yeah. So it is yeah. definitely more rare than we like to recommend for trade waiters, yeah, where okay. it's like yeah. any, anyone can get it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Our last category is a book that uh, you would like to pick for trade waiters, a book that you love, LOL, but <laughs> uh, that you're pretty sure would be rejected for trade waiters for some reason. Okay. So many options. <laughs> but... Uh, I decided to go with one that I just keep finding myself. Like, there's a lot of books that I just sort of, like, have decided that's not the hill I want to die on. But, like, <laughs> uh, but the one the one book that's the hill I would die on is, is the Sandman series. 
Now, I specifically just brought in this one book, which is The Endless Nights, which is sort of like a series of short stories in the Sandman universe, but not connected to the giant, like, 11-volume monstrosity that is the Sandman. But, I mean, just really quick synopsis. So this was, like, the first... One of the first major works by Neil Gaiman, who's gone on to become a very successful author and television show producer and movie producer. And... uh, Sandman is the story of the endless, so they are the embodiments of different human concepts. So there's death, dream, desire, despair, delirium, destruction, and destiny. And the story focuses on Dream, who is the Sandman. So it was originally written to be uh, a horror comic series, and that's probably the number one reason I don't think we're ever going to cover it, is that the first two volumes have a huge amount of uh, violence and serial killers and body mutilation <laughs> and and definitely have trigger warnings. That being said, when it gets to volume four, which is Seasons of Mist, uh, that is actually where I think the story really picks up because it's when Satan gives up uh, being Satan and hands the keys to hell to Dream and is like, well, this is your problem now, buddy. And leaves Dream in, in uh, you know, uh, stewardship of hell and a huge pantheon of gods from different uh, mythologies come knocking on his door all demanding the keys to hell because that would give them, like, a little more power as deities because they're all falling out of, like, favor with hum- humanity. Anyways, it's all about the imagination and sort of belief and dreams and human subconscious and it's really fun stuff but it definitely suffers for continuous changing of artists Mm -hmm. and it definitely is very 90s in its art I think you really get to see Gaiman mature as a writer by the end of the series and I would say especially like from volumes 4 to 11 it's just a fantastic read but uh, it's just I think in a lot of ways it's just not going to be accessible and it's too big and I think too too many kind of questionable moments uh, the, to make it really something we could ever review for trade waiters. I've tried to read Sandman <laughs> twice and failed. <laughs> twice. Yeah, <laughs> I found the early parts of it pretty inaccessible. I will agree yeah. with that assessment. Yeah. but I've always wanted to because yeah. it's one of those yeah. like really recommended yeah. works. Well, I, I mean, I always, I sort of find myself always saying, well, it gets good by volume four. And then people say, like, I could just pick it up at four. I'm like, well, no, because you really need the backstory. <laughs> if you don't read volumes one to three, you don't understand why Satan has it in for him in volume four. So, so yeah, it's like you kind of need to read the whole thing, but it really doesn't get good until four. It feels like one of those works that uh, when comics was a smaller place, that it was the pinnacle of what could be achieved at the, in the medium. We have so many wonderful books now that it's no longer at the top of the pile. Mm. But there was definitely a time where the way many people were talking about this book is this is the comic. This is the one you have to read. There's nothing better than this. Yeah, I think it's, what is it they say? Like, there's being best and there's being first. And I Mm. would say, like, in a lot of ways, Sandman was first. (laughs) Speaking of uh, (laughs) questionable imagery. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so this book... Like, I absolutely love it, and I think it's a fantastic comic, but when it was recommended to me, I was really skeptical, because it's called uh, Monsters by Ken Dahl, and it's about herpes. It's about a guy with herpes, and, like, the emotional 
uh, torture he goes through. So when I heard about that, I was like, I'm not sure I want to read this. Um, I don't know if this like would really appeal to me, but it has like incredible art, like a riveting plot, um, like amazing dialogue. And it's, it's just extremely like compelling. Like it's heart wrenching what happens in this story. Um, but I don't think I would recommend it just because of some of the um, imagery and some of the content. I don't know if it's something that would like we would want to do. I don't know what everyone's thoughts are. I had a lot of trouble with this one because I was like, I don't know if anybody would like hate any <laughs> books that I have, like, you know. But um, that was kind of my main reason for. Uh, you just gotta not keep picking. keep recommending, and eventually you'll hit one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, in general, I think maybe for yeah, maybe a more like seasoned comic reader, I would like strongly recommend this. It's it's very it's so surprising. Like when you hear it, the first description of it, you're like, really? But it's a really wonderful book. Yeah. Cool. I've never heard of it before. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so my pick is Age of Bronze by Eric Shanower. Uh, and I absolutely love this series to bits. Uh, I am constantly plagued by a sense of disappointment that he's not producing these books faster. I'm not sure he's still producing these books at all um, because it's, the series isn't finished and it, like there have been no new volumes in a long time. I am pretty sure the rest of the trade readers will not like this book as much as I do. Uh, and so I don't even want to go through the disappointment of someone saying, eh, it's not for me because it's so for me. Um, it's basically a retelling of the Iliad but... I would say it is the best retelling of the Iliad. I would say it's even better than Homer's Iliad. Whoa! Whoa. Homer's oh. Iliad. <laughs> Homer's Iliad is weird because it's just like one. It feels like one chapter of the story. There's so much other, so many other stories and mythology. Like the Trojan horse is not in Homer's Iliad. Uh, I know. Well, I got to the end of the Iliad and I was like, wait a minute, where's the giant horse? <laughs> it was very disappointing. The Odyssey is great. Iliad, eh, I could take it or leave it. But this takes every story of the Iliad and manages to actually fit them together, which is no small feat because so many, even so many of the original Greek myths are conflicting, like they don't line up, and he finds ways to make them work. And he sets the story in the actual time period where whatever happens that inspired the story of the Iliad, it happened during this time period, in the Bronze Age, not in the Iron Age. So it looks mm. like uh, Minoan, Mycenaean, that kind of art style. And so like that's like I really treasure that sort of uh, historical accuracy, art historical accuracy. Um, the characters are very human, but... They still fit the sort of mythological premise. Like, a lot of them are just terrible people, because it's Greek mythology. But there's still, like, enough people with enough redeeming qualities that you care about them. Um, like, Odysseus is a crazy person, which is <laughs> totally appropriate. Achilles is uh, a young jerk who is, like, everyone is, like, he's the one who can save the Greeks, but he's just, like, he's got his own obsessions, so, like... Good luck convincing him to come along. And I don't know. It's it's The art is fantastic. I just love it. Awesome. Cool. I love it. I, it does strike me from the way you're describing it as like the most Jonathan Dalton book that, yeah. that <laughs> there could be. All you have to say is like, there's Mycenaeans and Manoas. They're like, sold. <laughs> so there was a focus group. And like, How can we get Jonathan Bal Dalton reading this book? Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, cool. So my recommendation for the untradeweightable untradeweightable yeah, book like is uh, that should be our new word untradeweightable yeah, <laughs> <laughs> kind of similar to Jeff in that <laughs> it's like if you took superheroes up to the limit Sandman if you took manga up to its limit I feel especially in the direction that appeals to me personally it's X1999 by Clamp <laughs> and I've mentioned this before but I'm going to take this opportunity to once again tell you about X1999 <laughs> X1999 in more detail uh, so the story of X-1999 is basically that there is uh, the end of the world is coming. And there are seven dragons of heaven who... I, this plot is so convoluted, so apologies if I get it mixed up. There are seven dragons of heaven who want to destroy the earth and seven dragons of earth who want to... Seven dragons of earth who want to save the earth. And in 1999, this is all going down. There's a major showdown happening in Tokyo. And there is one person whose name is Kamui. And he is both a dragon of heaven and earth. And so he is the one who gets to decide whether humanity lives or dies. And there's all sorts of weird stuff going on. Like there's a psychic who can see the future. And everyone is basically jockeying around in position trying to convince Kamui to either destroy the earth or save it. And so there's... And basically the reason that this comic is like all that is, is difficult to recommend and yet appeals to me very directly is because it takes all of the things that are considered manga sort of tropes in terms of panel pacing and long panels of nothing <laughs> and just a lot of atmospheric development and stylistic flares and that's more or less all there is to the book. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I consider it to be closer to poetry oh. than actually book of a, a narrative structure, and it's really, really difficult to tell what is going on. The plot is very convoluted. I barely understand what's happening half the time. <laughs> it's like, so there'll be, like, a huge two-page spread of, like, the world exploding, and it'll just have one bubble that says, Kimui! <laughs> and then, like, the next page is, like, two panels, and one is just full of feathers, and the other is, like, a forlorn-looking shoujo girl who's like, I don't know what's happening. And then it's like the next page is like a huge two-page spread with like all these dragons flying around. It's like, will he save the earth or not? And, then like, right. and there's a lot of very macabre violence in it as well and a lot of huge superhero style fighting happening when weird superpowers and yeah, it's really hard to explain it because like I, I said, I barely know what's going on, but it is my favorite book in the whole wide world. Wow. <laughs> I, I feel like I... I actually went and saw... Did they, did they make an anime of it? Probably, yes. I, I, I would say yes. I feel like I went with some friends and we watched X, the anime, and I was like, I have no idea <laughs> what just happened. And my friends were like, ah, it's Clamp for you. And I was like, what's Clamp? And they're like, yeah, it's like uh, this company and they just do a certain type of manga. And I was like, I don't... What? What are you even talking about? Yeah. So it's not only clamp. It is like the clampiest clamp. So <laughs> they took all of their tropes and basically it seems like they just had carte blanche to make the most off the wall thing that they could. And that's why I love it so much is because they, they're not even trying to make a plot, it seems sometimes. And I really appreciate it. But the art in that book is so jaw-droppingly beautiful. Like I can really see how it influenced... Not that my work can remotely approach it, but I was so into this work as a teen and going back to it, I can see why I was so into it and I can remember how much I tried to mimic that style growing mm. up because it is just so many flourishes and a lot of novel panel construction and stuff like that. Oh, right on. I love it. I love it. If you're a huge manga fan, check it out if you've never read a clamp. X1999. I love All it right. so much. 
I, I just enjoy the fact that it takes place in the distant future yeah. of 1999. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is a very it is a very time and place. Kind Remember of when that felt so far away? Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I think we've done lots of shout outs already. So yeah. Can we, yeah, we're gonna skip that. I think our whole this was our shout out episode. Basically, <laughs> our shout out <laughs> clip show special. Yeah. <laughs> Should we? Sign off with who we are, where you can find us again. Should we shout out Swan Song? Yes, we should. Uh, okay, so all of us who are here today uh, are in Swan Song, which is an anthology that Cloudscape is publishing. Uh, the theme is music, and it's going to be a massive 12 by 12 book. And it's got lots of great stories in it. All the art I've seen has been pretty good so far. I've seen, like, uh, who else? Who's in this book? Fantastic art. Okay, give, um, us, give us some names. Fame uh, monsters in this book. So there's yeah. uh, Jess Pollard and Simon Roy did a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, Retta Linyama and Bevan Thomas did a story. Uh, Alina Pete and uh, Ian Thomas are doing another story. Uh, there's uh, these two guys, uh, Jonathan Dalton and Angela Malik, that did a story. Uh, yeah. You should check out their work. I think you guys <laughs> yes, would like it. Yes. Yeah, uh, JD and I collabed on the story yeah. for the first yeah. time ever. It was mm-hmm. a pretty effective collaboration. Yeah, it looked so. really good. It was fun. Um, yeah. um, Sveyar Monster has a story. Yes, Sveyar Monster has an excellent story. Um, um, and then there's a couple new people uh, that we've never got to meet before uh, in Cloudscape. So James Brandy. There's some like people who I don't know whose work I haven't seen before, but looks really great. Like Karen Shanguan. Yeah. Yeah. That look that stuff looks great. Shanigan? Shanguan, I think. Okay. I could be wrong. I I could be yeah. Uh, Kat Kelsey has a a really nice story. Patrick Wong. Yeah. uh, Patrick Wong and Oliver McTavish did Mm -hmm. an amazing story. Emily Cowan did a, a, a story. Uh, that I really enjoyed about not understanding what the deal is with music and why people <laughs> like it, which I thought was kind of fun. Clara Woldenga, uh, she's a new contributor. Uh, Ed Appleby. Anat did a story. Oh, yeah. Anat Rabkin mm-hmm. also did a story. Hannah. Uh, oh, Hannah Myers yeah. did an amazing story. Yeah, about one of my pirates favorites. and yeah. sirens. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, and Monica Disher. Uh, mm-hmm. She is getting her first work published in this book, and it looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam, oh, he did the Mushroom Bard, and his yeah. art is featured on the cover image right now. Yeah, as soon uh, as I thought, saw that image, I was like, okay, that's going to be our cover image. Yeah, I forget his last name right now. Um, his story's great. Yep. Uh, Mushroom Bard. I just followed him on... Um, uh, Forget whether if it was Bastodon or Twitter. It's been Twitter. Yeah, Twitter. Um, so yes, you should get this book. There's by the time this episode goes up, there'll be like a couple weeks left. So get it now. There may even be some new offerings by then too. There's a lot of different rewards to pick from. Yeah, there's so many rewards we can't even talk about them right now. Just <laughs> go to the Kickstarter page, look for Swan Song, do a search. There'll be something. It'll be great. Mm-hmm. Back it. Okay, uh, Jess, what's our next episode going to be? Um, it's going to be I Killed Adolf Hitler by Jason. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. The Trade Waiters is presented by Cloudscape Comics. Thanks to the Vancouver Public Library for letting us record in the Inspiration Lab and Sleuth for the music. You can find us at tradewaiters.tumblr.com as well as iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Thanks for listening.